Okay, whatever. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're going to go through a couple articles that were just too good to let them pass by. Uh, <laughs> one of them is not entirely about seafood, but it is about an aquatic species, that, and it was just too much fun to, to pass up. So we'll get into it in a little bit. Before we do that, make sure to follow us at Aquademia Pod on social. Reach out to us on email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. And please rate, review, and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about some mutant crayfish. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So my curiosity, because Sean, you sent this link to us this this article i'm curious how you came across it okay the, that, yeah that's, that's, that's actually really what i want a to perfect know opportunity also. for me to get for me to give a shout out so i am a subscriber to the fish nerds podcast fish nerds is a fantastic podcast done by clay groves he's a he, he's up here in new hampshire and uh he's a fisherman and he has a show all about fishing and and fish and all the different news articles that come out and stuff and they have a really uh active community on Facebook, uh, they have a Facebook group for Fish Nerds podcast, and people share articles and and fun things all the time. And this article came up the other day. It, uh, it was written October twenty third, so it's recent. <laughs> and I, I could not. It's it's got an amazing clickbaity title that I just could not stay away from. Uh, the title of the article. So the article is in uh, New Zealand New Zealand Herald dot co nz, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But the title of the article is Escaped Cloned Female Mutant Crayfish Take Over Belgian Cemetery. Um, you tell <laughs> me you're not going to click on, on that? that? <laughs> well, given it's the uh, Halloween, the month of Halloween, and you have uh, the word mutant cemetery, it's just... Uh, it it it's, really it's doesn't together. get more intriguing than that, especially when you're a fish person, a fish <laughs> nerd. Um, by the way, before we get into the article, if you are interested in, in recreational fishing or fish in general... I highly recommend you check out uh, the Fish Nerd podcast. It's it's technically called Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast. So go check it out. Subscribe to him and make sure you let him know that we sent you. All right. So I think I may even just read through this article and we'll just kind of throw in our, our thoughts as we as we go out because it's just it's this article is amazing. It says escaped self-cloning mutant crayfish created in experimental breeding programs have invaded a Belgian cemetery. Of all Good places, start. a cemetery. I know. Hundreds of the duplicating crustaceans, which, which can dig down to up to a meter uh, and are always female, pose a deadly threat to a local biodiversity after colonizing a historical Antwerp graveyard. It's impossible to round all of them up. Uh, it's like trying to empty the ocean with a thimble, says Kevin Shears, who is uh, from the Flemish Institute for Nature and Woodland Research. Uh, so we're talking about marbled crayfish which is a very specific breed of crayfish and they're used uh they're bred for the the pet industry like a you know the the aquarium the home aquarium trade really um, yeah they're not like a natural uh, they, they can travel across people if they want some free ones <laughs> <laughs> so I, I looked them up i looked up marble crayfish on ebay and uh 
you can get four self-cloning marbled crayfish for 30 bucks on eBay. Oh my gosh, wow. Seems like a scene from like Jurassic Park. Yeah, I guess, kind of. So do you just uh, wake up one morning and instead of having four, you have like 16? Possibly, maybe. I don't know, I've never, <laughs> go, hey, I've never kept crayfish. Um, <laughs> it says they can travel across land and water at night and eat whatever they can. Uh, they don't... <laughs> They're scavengers. <laughs> They don't occur in nature and they're banned by the European Union. So they're about 10, 10 centimeters big and apparently they're really voracious. It says they're thought to have been bred by unscrupulous German pet traders in the 1990s. Similar to the sloth crayfish found in Florida, but uh, are parthenogenic, which means they reproduce with themselves and all their children are genetically identical females. So they really are just self-cloning. So they just m- multiply themselves. Um, the mutation, which occurred about 25 years ago, means populations can spring up rapidly from just a single crayfish. In 2018, scientists established a global marbled crayfish population was descended from a single fem- one single female and did not need any males to reproduce. Uh, so the EU banned their possession um, Girl power. and their release in 2014, but it's impossible to trace the owners because all the crayfish are genetically exactly the same. So it's, it's the, the wow. perfect... <laughs> what, are, what are they? Oh, perfect organism. <laughs> the crayfish have taken root in the pools and streams of the uh, Schoonselhof Cemetery in Antwerp, which is known as the Flemish city's Père Lachaise. So my question, thinking of how you can make this a positive, is can you eat them? And what if you just had an unlimited, like what do they need? I mean, I wonder. I wonder is that if, a form uh, of control? Can we start collecting them and like frying them up? <laughs> yeah, and if they if they clone in the frying pan, and you just continue to get like, you know, you pop one in, you have dinner for five. So it it didn't say anything in this article about if it's edible. There's probably not much to be said for eating these. I mean, you know, you like for instance, They're chickens. You have chickens that lay eggs, and you have chickens that are raised for meat. And you wouldn't really eat the chickens that you are are raised. For to be egg layers just because of the the specific breed and stuff it's not meant for that so I, I assume it would be like similar to this like these are these are pets these are these are colorful attractive looking uh crayfish that maybe don't get as much meat or they you know that's not they're not they're not bred for food so as far as i know it says in here that someone probably had the animal in their in their aquarium and set it free in a canal which Every most people who own aquariums know you don't do that. You don't let your animals free <laughs> because this is what happens. Uh, they get tired of yeah, their animals, like or the population the, is getting too big at home. This is a textbook example of an invasive species. So, yep, I'm guessing that you both know what invasive species are, but to our listeners who might not know, essentially, an invasive species is when a non-native species gets introduced to any given ecosystem. And it just kind of takes over the ecosystem because it doesn't have any predators. It doesn't have any barriers to reproduce, which is especially true in this scenario. So and the conundrum with invasive species is that you don't want to just kill them all, but it's also like they're not native. So then it's it's just a really unique situation that is happening more and more with globalization because with people moving all around the world, it's like species just, they can latch onto the bottom of boats. They could hop in a plane somehow, like insects or things like that. So it's happening more and more. And I think that we're seeing it because of 
globalization. And this one is a this is a funny situation, though, because it's like not naturally occurring, period. It's like an actual like genetically modified species that is I don't want to say fake because it is real, but it's just not natural. Right. Un- unnatural. And and we've talked about the dangers of using the word natural uh, in yeah. the scientific community. But um it, you know what what you were saying it is it's a great example for instance uh we have a, a invasive species of of crab in New England here called Asian shore crab and they came obviously they came from Asia Asian shore crab and if you go out in a tide pool here in New England and you turn over a rock you're almost guaranteed to see a bunch of Asian shore crabs you know walking around and it's because they came over in the ballast water in the the cargo ships from uh, this is what pe- what scientists you know what they think happened is it, it probably came over in ballast water on the cargo ships coming from Asia. Um, and then when they got here, they dumped that ballast water because they didn't need it anymore to keep balance for once they empty their cargo. And so then those those crabs or the crab eggs just kind of, you know, went with the water and now they're here. Um, so that's that's what happens. It's it's almost impossible to control when something like that is happening. Um, and yeah, it's like once it reaches a in, certain point, it's like you can't really reel it back in. <laughs> Yeah, they establish themselves as part of the ecosystem, which then then there's a, a decisions that need to be made. Do we do something about this or do we just kind of accept it as part of the ecosystem now? So I guess in Spain, they you control them by, by poisoning, but Belgian law prohibits that. So they're not able to, to control them that way. It says, uh, this is something that I think is really funny. Uh, it's been compared to the Tribbles, which is a fictional alien species in Star Trek that reproduce extremely quickly. <laughs> so we're starting to compare crayfish to aliens in science fiction, which is great. The The one cool thing about this, though, is it says scientists hope the science fiction uh, shellfish's incredible adaptability may help them understand how cancer tumors adapt to their environment by developing resistance to certain drugs. So it says both the crayfish and cancer tumors have epigenetic mechanisms that help them adapt to different environments by switching certain genes on or off. So wow. there could be a positive with this. So that's that's kind of cool. This seems like an incredibly um, hardy species. Like they're they're pretty cool, except for the fact yeah, that they're destroying their ecosystem. If, <laughs> if you could just clone yourself over and over and over again, there's some serious power in numbers there. And and yeah, they're really voracious. I guess they just eat anything in sight. They can travel on land in water. I mean, it's. <laughs> 2020, you know, you never know what's, what you're going to get next. <laughs> well, so this article is five days old, and I'm sure at time it was being written, this was already happening. Mm-hmm. So say we're at least a week, week in, I would really be curious to see how the control methods are, are working. If there's as many as they say, it's in a, seems like a confined spot, but they move through the night. I don't know if you read that in the article, but as they're foraging for food they're moving at night so and there's what was the what was the quote it's like it's like trying to empty the ocean with a thimble yeah (laughs) so there's a lot of them so yeah be curious to see how the the cleanup efforts are working what they're going to do with i mean there's no way of us knowing unless someone happens to have a connection to this article that's listening to this episode and reaches out to us but well you know we did just recently or just a few minutes ago, talk about how they didn't talk about eating it, but I actually, in the very last paragraph of this article, I just noticed it says, uh, it's particularly prevalent in Madagascar where it's rapid spread in less than a decade is because of its popularity as a cheap source of protein. So I guess 
I guess you could eat them. So maybe that's, you know, a, an angle to look at with the cleanup here. Uh, if you just start gathering up, gathering it up in big buckets. And, yeah, that could be a really expensive food source if they just yeah. clone themselves. <laughs> hey, if you're no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say if you're a <laughs> farmer and you want a cheap way to, to grow a lot of a lot of uh, product, but I I, I, I would yeah, prefer to discourage it. the uh, potential <laughs> introduction of more <laughs> more invasive species that were grown in a lab. So, um, and so far, the marbled crayfish has been reported in Austria, Germany, France, Japan, Madagascar, Israel. So it's already across four different continents, and now it's popping up in Belgium and Spain also. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And eBay. Which means I could get it in my house, you know, within the, within a few weeks. So oh, it's here in the U.S. too, but I guess it hasn't established a population. I, I just, I, I know it doesn't really have to do with seafood, but I think that people who are in the seafood industry will find it interesting. And it's just something fun and lighthearted because we're all going through some really hard times. And we always hear just a lot of negative and difficult things. And I could not pass this up. This was too good to not talk about on an episode. I feel bad for the people who are dealing with it over in uh, in Antwerp but it's just it was too good I had to share that's all um, do you guys have anything else you want to say about the uh, cloned self-cloning mute mutant female crayfish in the Belgian cemetery a sentence I never thought I would ever say in my life no it's just if there's anyone listening that has ties to the article that wants to reach out to give us some more information we would love to hear it yeah so like I said I found this in in a New Zealand on a New Zealand news website, but it is in uh, Belgium. So I have a feeling there's going to be, there's plenty of, probably, there's probably plenty of other articles around the internet about it. So, uh, all right, let's move on to the second one. This one is much more closely related to seafood uh, and our industry. Uh, I found this article on euronews.com in the living section. And the, the title, it, uh, this one is written by uh, Martha de Ferrer. Ferrer? I'll say fairer. And the title is Eating Jellyfish is a More Sustainable Alternative to Fish, Say Scientists. Now, did you guys read this article? Did you breeze through it quick? Yeah, I skimmed it's over open it. as we speak. Yeah. So it's, you know, c- coming from the seafood industry and knowing the inner workings of how fish is produced and all this stuff and, and how we get our fish, uh, there is, I, I, I have a little bit of frustrations with kind of the beginning of it. Where she just basically it 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 has an air about it of kind of this what we see a lot in the conservation industry is is kind of like not really bashing on wild caught fish but definitely putting it in kind of a negative light, talking about overfishing and things like that. It says the research found that ninety one globally threatened species of fish are being legally caught on an industrial scale. Around 15% of these species are traded internationally, mainly for consumption across Europe. This includes fish like haddock, Atlantic, horse, mackerel, and big-eye tuna. Um, we know that there are these issues, but obviously there's a lot more that goes into them than they you know, express in articles like this. And one thing that – you know, they, they really went for the, um, the hard-hitting headline kind of thing. They said, we would never consider eating mountain gorillas or elephants, both of which are endangered. So, like, when you read something like that, you know, you realize you got to take these articles with a grain of salt. But what really interests me is the second half of the article, uh, which is where they talk about jellyfish as food. And jellyfish, it says it's been a staple of some cuisines for over 1,700 years, but it's not a mainstream protein source worldwide. Uh, I I did have jellyfish. I had a jellyfish salad when I was in China once. Um, Oh, wow. I did not enjoy it. 
<laughs> can you can you tell me why? Because I've never had it. it yeah, it so, looks actually kind of appetizing. So but I would like to see. So what jellyfish, your are. Um, they actually talk about the flavor here too. It doesn't really have a flavor. It's kind of like it's it's like tofu, right? Like yeah. it takes on the flavor of the sauce that it's in. So, so is it a texture thing? The, it, it, there's a potential for it to be really tasty. For me, it's a texture thing. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't know. It says Jello. It, it's, it, it actually describes the, the texture in here. Um, they're kind of squishy, kind of crunchy, and kind of chewy, like a cross between cucumbers and Ooh, rubber bands. And I think that's actually a really good description. Uh, it's, like, it's like rubbery, but uh, the fibrous at the same time. I don't know if you can kind of get that the idea of that. That's kind of how I would describe it. So for me, it wasn't, like I said, it didn't taste bad because it basically tasted like soy sauce when I had it, but it, uh, I didn't love the texture. It's almost like, a like if you get a piece of chicken that has too much fat on it, you know, and you got to really like crunch through that, that mm-hmm. fatty. Tendon. So it's not very tender. Like you couldn't cut it with a fork. I, I mean, maybe there's a way you can prepare it that you yeah. can cut it with a fork. Well, and the picture that's in the article and our, Listeners can see it when we link mm. to this article, but that looks really appetizing. To you me. can get a sense of uh, kind of the texture that it has there. It's kind of it's going to be slimy and it's going to be kind of gooey and squishy, but it's still going to be have a rigidity that'll make it hard to kind of like cut through pretty easily. You can kind of you can kind of tell what it what it's like when you look at that that picture of the prepared meal, and it does look it does look good. People people can make anything look good. <laughs> So maybe there are some, like you said, Sean, so the, the article, and I'm reading it, I didn't read it ahead of time, so I'm, I'm following along with how you're presenting it, but obviously there's the attention-grabbing headlines, you know, it's all the same stuff that we hear over and over again, mm-hmm. and unless you understand uh, what's happening, then you may be swayed to to under, to follow this a little bit more than maybe you you, sh- you should, but so where where are there positives in this article? So it's talking about jellyfish as a renewable species, and again, you've already read this, so maybe you want to talk a little bit about that as I yeah. Read so it. if if our listeners don't know too much about jellyfish, um, th- the way that jellyfish reproduce is actually really cool. It, it's actually kind of similar to you know the self cloning. <laughs> um, Crayfish we were talking about, it is a, a way of almost self-cloning. They, they'll they release polyps that will attach onto rocks like a holdfast, just kind of almost like algae uh, or anemones or anything, you know, that, that type of invertebrate. Uh, and then those polyps will grow and eventually branch off and be, and be grow into jellyfish. And so they compare jellyfish to um, apple picking. You know, the, uh, the, the more apples you pick from a tree, the more that tree will have next year. And that's kind of how they're looking at it. Uh, wh- you know, if you ever go out into the ocean after a big storm, you'll see lots of jellyfish that got brought in because they just, you know, th- once you hit certain uh, water parameters, jellyfish populations can explode because they just start sloughing off these polyps and just they just grow and grow and grow. And ultimately you could have one, there's one species of jellyfish, uh, that's not the one that they're talking about in here, but there's one species of jellyfish that is basically an immortal jellyfish because it just, once it gets to the end of its life cycle, it kind of like reconstitutes itself as a polyp and all of a sudden it's a baby again. And it just, it's like technically the same animal, uh, which is pretty cool. So they're, they're looking at it as super duper renewable. Uh, and far less concerned about overfishing or depleting the stocks. Um, and they're also apparently very healthy. A 75-gram serving of jellyfish uh, only has 36 calories. 
which is about the same as that size serving of iceberg lettuce, uh, but nearly four grams of protein just in that. So we're talking about some heavy protein heavy uh, foods here. Maddie, you look like you got some. No, I just think that that's so interesting. I never would have guessed that it was like, I mean, it makes sense that it's low in calories like lettuce, but the fact that it has protein is very interesting. Yeah. uh, They say there are plenty of other types of commonly enjoyed seafood, which don't have much flavor. It's just a tradition that makes them a delicacy. So if we can find ways to make these appetizing for people, and then it's going to become a marketing issue, a marketing marketing challenge, I'll say, um, to change people's minds. A lot of our tastes for seafood are driven largely by culture and tradition. The obvious example is shark fin soup, which we've talked about before. And I I anticipate at some point we will have a full episode on shark fin soup. I feel very passionately about it, which means we need to step lightly when we do that. So um, that's going to take some time to, to develop that episode. But um, cannonball jellyfish and blue blubber jellyfish. I love the alliteration of that blue blue blubber jellyfish uh, are two of the many edible species of jellyfish. Blue blubbers uh, are abundant in Australian waters, often appearing in swarms along Australia's east coast. Nicknamed jelly ball, cannonball jellyfish, which is uh, one of the other more popular species for eating, are already one of the most valuable exports in the U.S. state of Georgia, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, most of the exports really? from Georgia end up in Japan, China, and Thailand. When chi- China is where I ate it. And I I don't know exactly what species it was, but eh, interesting. Super cool idea. Different way to look at things. Obviously, we can eat jellyfish. People have been doing it for thousands of years. It's just how do we work that into our mainstream food systems, you know? I sense a email from... Dr. Steve Hart on his experience with jellyfish. And I know he's listening or will listen to this episode. Yep. Shout out to Steve so Hart. We expect he's that email. One of our biggest supporters, Dr. Steve Hart. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and I'm sure he's had it plenty he of times. Of jellyfish. Yeah. I'm sure he's had it plenty of times. I'd love to, if, if he gets us a, a good story, I'm sure he has a good story. We, you all know, you've heard him on the, on the episode in the past. You know, he has good stories from his time over in Asia and I'm sure he's got a good story about jellyfish as well. So, <laughs> so that's it. Just a couple articles that I found interesting that were fun and kind of a break from a lot of the seriousness that we've been facing uh, in 2020 here. So uh, do you guys have anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? No, it's, it's nice sometimes to, to sit down and do episodes like this. We just, we found a couple interesting articles and we just kind of have a friendly conversation and it's, it's kind of industry related, but also a little bit on the opposite side of that. But it's, it's good sometimes to, to listen to something that's not COVID-19 related and I'm not going to say depressing, but it's, it's nice to do these. So hopefully our listeners in, in, enjoyed hearing us kind of talk through some of these articles as well. Yeah, and we'll share them in the show notes. And, you know, a, a lot of our listeners are in the aquaculture industry, or the aquaculture business. And, you know, one facet of aquaculture is raising fish and, and other aquatic organisms for uh, the aquarium trade and for and for the orientals trade. And it's... Um, it's just it's just another facet. They may not be raising it for seafood, which is obviously our main uh, focus on this podcast is is seafood and edible uh, aquatic animals. But you know that that They're it, not it all fits exclusive. in it, exactly, exactly. And so I think it does fit in. Uh, I think our audience will find it interesting. And again, shout out to Clay Groves at the Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast if you're interested in in fishing, recreational fishing, or you know he has a, a couple uh, PhDs that come on and talk about 
the science of some of the fish that you see out there. Um, so it's really interesting stuff. Make sure you check that out. Uh, and that's all I have. So guys, thanks. It's been a long time. Yeah. Thanks for bearing with us through the crazy month of October, which was national seafood month. So hopefully you ate more seafood in October, but thanks for bearing with us. We're going to be back to our normal posting schedule once a week. So get, get excited. Yep. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.